This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Wong. I talk anything and everything that has to do with AI, ML, and data science. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Wong. Today, I am here with Peter Evans, who is the CEO of Extract One Technologies. Peter, do you want to give a quick intro? Yeah, sure, Tony. It's great to be here today. Thanks for having me on the show. My background, I've been in the high-tech world probably 25 plus years, everything from telecom to cybersecurity to AI SaaS models, primarily on the startup side or with startups that were acquired by larger companies where I paid my penance for a while. And uh, yeah, very happy to be here. Cool, Peter. Do you want to give a quick like background on how you became the CEO of Extract One Technologies? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Sure. It's I started with Extract One a little over two years ago. I'd been with a company that was doing remote video monitoring. We were using AI to replace people staring at cameras, and it was very effective. And there was a change in kind of the business structure and things like that. And I started to think about other things that I wanted to do. I was looking at three or four different companies. And I kept coming back to, at that time, we were called Patriot One. And what really fascinated me about Patriot One was we had some really fascinating AI software and at its heart, a really interesting core product at a high degree of efficacy, but it hadn't really been packaged in a way that was suitable to the marketplace, making it easy to consume, easy to deploy, these sorts of things. The company hadn't really figured out the right segment to go after where there was a perfect product market alignment. And it was a little bit more of a product forward versus a customer back approach to the market. The more I kept thinking about it, the more I thought weapons and weapons detection solutions are going to be very hot and very interesting. The societal unrest that we've seen after returning back to work and back to our places of enjoyment from COVID is only going to continue. And we're seeing that every single day with more and more weapons issues. And so this was a very interesting and topical uh, opportunity for us to play into an interesting market space with a great product that was still very raw. And I thought this could be something that could go on a very interesting trajectory very quickly with just some focus on execution. My passion going, um, I love to do things I'm very passionate about. And I quickly said to the board of directors at Patriot One, now Extract One, that yes, I'm on board, let's go. Haven't regretted a moment of it since. I, I love what I do. I think we've got a great team. We've got a great set of customers and we're doing something that we think we're fundamentally changing industries. And I guess, Tony, you'd be very familiar about how things like AI and digital transformation have changed so many segments of our life. You think about how we used to have to go to brick and mortar stores to purchase mm-hmm. things. Now e-commerce is everywhere. Online education, online banking, heck, the fact that you and I can do this podcast and it can be distributed to millions of people through digital transformation technologies, things as well as things like AI that brings the table to make it interesting to the right audience. Applying that same sort of AI innovation and that same sort of digital transformation innovation to market that essentially has been stagnant for 50, 60, 70 years. So so what would you say like your, like the, what sets like your AI solution apart from like the traditional security measures that's out there? Yeah, so if you think of the traditional security measures, there's really things fall into sort of two or three categories. 
you've got labor-based business models. I'm worried about threat, whatever that threat might be. It's a weapons threat, it's theft, it's whatever. Hire more security officers. But labor-based business models don't scale. From a business point of view, they're very low margin. From a operational effectiveness point of view, they're not very scalable at all. So these labor-based business models, they don't scale. Yet that has been the main approach to physical security for years, guns and guards. The other thought around this is as you start to need to screen massive amounts of people for weapons post-911, the traditional approach was to use walk-through metal detectors. And they bind virtue of their description. They're a metal detector. They're not a weapons detector. It creates an annoyance. It creates a nuisance. Good security is in conflict with a patron experience. We see this, for example, in the cybersecurity world. The more layers of authentication I put on something, two to three to four layers of authentication as part of a multi-factor authentication solution, the more annoying it comes. Just look at what happened with Salesforce.com when they had the authenticator. There's a lot of people who are frustrated. The same thing with physical security as we introduced walk-through metal detectors 20, 22 years ago into places like NFL games, MLB games, theaters, these sorts of locations, schools. It's created a significantly negative patron experience. As a result, folks are frustrated. And again, post-COVID, when people have a great expectation to return to the lifestyles that they wanted, and they're paying thousands of dollars to see Taylor Swift, the last brand experience that a venue wants is for someone to have to stand in line for 90 minutes to get into the venue. So I so, always wondered, like, about the metal detectors, how big of a piece of metal or like a piece of material does it have to be to, like, trip the metal detector? It all, I, I it always all, get tripped whenever I walk through a metal detector. It really depends on the sensitivity. Like anything, you can turn up or turn down the volume. And if you look at this standard for these sorts of technologies, it's the NIJ 601.2 standard that's published by the Department of Justice. They talk about large, medium, and small items to be detected when you go through the verification of your technology. The smallest item is a set of key, like a tiny key, the kind of key you'd use to open up a handcuff. And that betrays the fact that these metal detectors were originally built for the penitentiary system, not for getting 80,000 fans into the Yankees game. And they were meant to find things like bobby pins that a prisoner might have on them that they were going to use to open up handcuffs. And so here we've got a very blunt force instrument to address a very complex problem of increasing levels of security as demanded by society, particularly with what's going on these days. And so it's a perfect opportunity to disrupt that marketplace using innovation like AI. So could you talk about the challenges that you faced when you're trying to implement AI into the physical security domain? And yeah. what other, I guess, what other big challenges do you see happening in the future in this space? I'm, I'm yeah. always curious about that. Yeah, to start off with, let me just talk a little bit about what we're doing. We've got some purpose-built sensors. They're intentionally designed to focus on the certain characteristics that are provided by different items when they walk between those sensors. So your cell phone gives off a different set of characteristics than a knife or a gun might, for example. And then the AI software is correlating all of that information. In some cases, as we continue to innovate the sensors, some 30,000 data points in a less than a second time frame to accurately depict this is a knife, this is a gun, this is a cell phone, this is earbuds, this is a watch, this is a wallet, this is keys. Now, the challenge is, to answer your question is, it's not perfect. You're still in the early stages of this kind of innovation. The sensor technology will continue to improve all the time as we get more and more experience out in the field. 
the AI models are constantly being updated through the machine learning algorithms. As we gather more and more data, there's an opportunity to continuously improve those models. The challenges we've seen is, like any AI system, gathering enough data to continuously improve the models. And there's things you can do both around gathering data out in the field as well as in your own labs and your own environments and getting those models actually trained. I'm sorry? What kind of data do you guys have to train with the to train your AI ML models? Right now we rely on on two scenarios. One, lab environments where if what we're trying to do is create a, a screening system that when somebody walks through it, it accurately detects if they've got a cell phone, a gun, or a knife. Then we have students all day long walking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth thousands and thousands of times a day. And that's a great way to train the model because it's unbiased. We've heard issues with AI systems where they've tried to use things like Hollywood films to, to train the AI on video. And yet the Hollywood films they use might have been biased against certain types of race, gender, age, whatever. So in our case, we're trying to make sure the models are incredibly unbiased in doing that work in our own labs. And then out in the field, gathering data from real-world deployments. We've got one deployment with some 30-plus systems in it where tens of thousands of people are walking through every single day. That's a great way to grab a broad cross-section of society and gather lots and lots of data on a continuous basis to feed into the, the models. That's pretty cool. So as the physical security market is rapidly growing, partly driven by the advances in AI, what kind of growth and changes are you anticipating for the market in, say, a couple, in the next couple of years? Yeah, it's a great question, Tony. With the, like any industry, we think what, we're, what I think we're going to see is you have a lot of point products that are out there to solve singular problems. We saw the same thing again in cybersecurity, where any given customer had 85 different point products all to solve small little problems. Eventually, you've got to aggregate and integrate those. And when I think about security, security is usually in conflict with you know, the patron experience, whether that patron is a student going to school, it's someone going into a courthouse, it's a shift worker going into an automotive plant, or it's a fan going in to see their favorite NBA team play. More and more security comes in conflict with that patron experience. And think about it. Let's use an arena as an example, Tony. You go to see a game at Madison Square Garden. You're stopped to have your bag inspected. You're stopped to have your ticket inspected. You're stopped potentially because someone suspects you of being banned from the venue, or maybe you're a VIP and they want to treat you differently. And you're stopped to walk through a metal detector. Not a great experience. The promise of AI is that I can start thinking about your experience all the way from the sidewalk to your seat without breaking stride. There's a lot of different point products that can identify who you are, that can identify that whether you have a ticket or not, that can identify if you're banned from the venue or not, and in our case, whether you've got a weapon or not. So, so in, starting to see integration of that is the future. So in, in the way that you are monitoring these people as they go through a venue, are you using like a multimodal approach where you're taking in different types of data like visual, audio, text data, or is it just like only one type of data in order to, to analyze like who you are? It's a great question, Tony. And coming back to one of your early questions, what appealed to me about coming to this company, what I thought was a really unpolished gem was the AI platform that we developed had been developed in a manner that we can ingest inputs and insights from other devices and then use those to correlate a better answer or a better result. Let me give a simple example. There's a lot of great tools out there that are scanning social media for certain words, certain commentary, things like that. 
if, if I'm an arena, I'll use my Madison Square Garden example. And I've got a social media scanner that is determining that someone has said that they're going to do something at the NBA game tonight because they do not like the opposing team. There's nothing to say I can't ingest that information about the, who that individual is and then watch for him passing through our system or, why, or their system might watch for him using facial recognition, for example. And you start to integrate all of these systems. With ours, we can ingest all sorts of information from all sorts of different systems and provide one holistic view about the patron experience as well as patron security at the same time. And again, that's where the AI engine can create that correlated experience. That's cool. So for privacy reasons, are, when you're scraping social media posts, is, are you teaming up with the social media company itself or are you, or is there like a law that allows you to scrape publicly available social media posts? Or I guess I'm not too versed in the privacy laws on, on like scraping social media. Yeah. Just for clarity, we aren't doing that today, but the platform itself and the way it's been designed has the potential, the possibility to do these sorts of things, which is what appealed to me because you and I don't know what the world's going to look like in five years from now, Yeah. but the but having a platform that allows that extensibility and that flexibility to adopt to what future needs are, I think is a critical thing as we're in this early stage of the AI environment. Yeah, de definitely. Because a lot of companies now are closing access, like API access to their content, like Reddit has inc has increased the price of a of the API access. Twitter has reduced the visibility into being able to scrape the content from their site. And this is all because of AI, right? So generative AI, because of the fact that it scrapes so much content out there, like it's an it's un it's a unsupervised AI algorithm that goes out and just scrapes everything. A lot of like social media sites like Reddit and Twitter, for instance, they've begun closing the access to it and that they force you to log in or pay an additional fee to access their service. Like, how do you envision like overcoming that type of problem? I think what right now what you're seeing is a lot of people are looking to monetize the IP. There's been a lot of hype around AI these days. There's a lot of very interesting multiples on valuations of AI-based companies. It's almost getting to a point where it might be jumping the shark to be quite honest, but you will see those, you will see those folks trying to monetize this. I actually think it's going in the wrong direction. If you start to block access to APIs, you create a very interesting situation where nothing is integrated. And again, we need to learn the lessons from the cybersecurity world. There were 3000 vendors the last time I was at the RSA show and none of them integrated with each other. And that created a very complex situation and slowed down adoption from all those chief security officers. So I think we need to be, maybe perhaps take a page from the other side of the equation. You look at the telecom world. When Cisco came out with IP routing, they made that, that protocol available to everyone, which drove everyone to integrate up to Cisco and they became the dominant player. I'm not a big fan of closed systems or closed ecosystems. I think you need to keep it open to everyone because it's hard to predict the future. Yeah, that's right. A, a lot of companies now, they, they'll rush to market and then create a moat and then yeah. do, and then rally the, the politicians to like get more regulations, just like OpenAI, for instance. Yes. They rushed to market with their GBT product. And then now that they've created a moat, they are trying to regulate it with politicians, which I think is just the most hilarious step. So I do creating open source, open source turnkey solution for everyone to use as a basis, kind of in the automotive industry where 
I forgot what company it was, but they created like the first three point seat belt. And rather than yeah. rather than com- commercializing it, they just released it because it was like the good of humanity. So yeah. Like, so I really like that kind of type of like concept, and I want to see that more. But as as I see more and more like generative AI or AI in general solutions being becoming developed, we're moving away from that. But there is a big movement, for instance, in generative AI. There's a huge open source movement for large language models to, for instance, Databricks Dolly. That's there's a huge push for that. But then on the flip side, for for like closed ecosystems like uh, the GBT engine we're seeing a big push in legislation to try and create a moat around that. I'm actually quite interested in seeing how that plays out in the future, the open source world versus like the proprietary solutions from like vendors. Yeah. More often than not, like if you look at history tends to repeat itself and I'm scratching my head right now, I'm sure there are good examples, but I'm scratching my head to think about how many organizations that had proprietary software, they put a kind of a fence around it actually survived in the long term. Simplest of examples, Betamax versus VHS. Betamax was a much better technology, but they put a control around it and only licensed it out to certain vendors. And VHS won the day because they became the the common standard, even though it wasn't the better standard. Similar sorts of things happened with EM protocols versus IP routing protocols. There was a head-to-head butting of heads about which would uh, which would survive. And ultimately IP did because it was more open source and available broadly. History tends to repeat itself. Yeah. Let's discuss like some significant milestones that you achieved. What's some that you would say you're really proud of with this multimodal platform? I'm a big fan of like anything that's multimodal. So what's a huge milestone that you guys have achieved in the past or about to achieve? The one that jumps out at me the most right now, and this is not a kind of a product one, but it's more, it's more around validation in the marketplace. I think you might you'd agree, Tony, that there's a lot of, let's just say, aggressive marketing around the value of AI and how it gets applied and various technologies out there. And we've held ourselves up to a lot of different standards and gone to a lot of length to have third parties test and verify our technology and validate its efficacy. We're talking about security. What we do is around security, security of our families, security of students, patrons, coworkers. So you can't get it wrong. So this past week on Tuesday, we announced that after extensive testing, we're now on the TSA's approved product list for security screening products. And that's after probably almost a year of testing and validation by that organization. So we're very pleased that after rigorous testing, we've actually achieved that milestone. That's huge. You know, the TSA, a lot of people think of the TSA as airports because we're all familiar with going through the TSA. It's the transport. Security Administration or Safety Administration, not the Airport Safety Administration. So they're very focused on security in cargo containers and ports of call and subway systems and bus stations and any place in any way that people are transported. And accordingly, they have some of the most rigorous security standards on the planet, particularly after 911. And so to have gone through that rigor of that testing and to come out on their you know, approved product list, we think is a real testament to what we've been doing with our AI models to create a lot of accuracy in detecting weapons while minimizing nuisance factors. So that's one milestone we're very pleased with. We're working with the DHS on Safety Act Award accordingly also. I also like to, if I bring it back to the product set itself and the kinds of things that we've been doing with the product set to detect the broadest set of weapons with the minimum, minimal amount of nuisance, that to me is something that it's hard to say we've hit a milestone. 
because it's a continuous journey of improvement. But the fact that we far surpass any other approach, even the old traditional walkthrough metal detectors, is really something that we take take very seriously and that we're very proud of. So those are kind of a couple that come to mind immediately, Tony. Yeah, I didn't know that the TSA had was like more than just airport security. Yeah. I thought that they were just exclusively airport security, but I did not know they, they actually they had further reach than that. Yeah. Now they there's everyone's very familiar with the airports, but like I said, ports of call, cargo ships, subways, train stations, um, essentially anywhere there is some sort of transportation, they're worried about providing security solutions and making sure best practices are applied. Not just technology, processes, procedures, you name it. So coming back to your question about multimodal, the other thing that we think about here is we started this company with three or four different products in mind. We're also delivering AI solutions that sit on top of cameras with the primary focus being on anomaly detection. And we've kind of morphed or focused a little bit more around weapons detection. So you start to think about a multi-layered approach to security. While we have the smart gateway, which provides security upon entrance into a facility, that might detect if, say, you, Tony, happen to be carrying a gun on you and you just forgot about it when you went in to see your favorite Knicks game, for example. But oftentimes when you get to things like school shootings or people with malicious intent, you know, a gateway is not going to stop them. It comes back to this idea that you need multiple approaches and multiple sets of information that can be correlated together. You know, are you posting things on social media? Do I see you on approach to the building? And maybe you've been an employee who's been asked to go home. So why are you here? Are you carrying a weapon? Are you walking to the building? Are you walking away from the building? There's all sorts of data points. An AI is very good at analyzing billions of data points and concluding, kind of bringing down to one or two key conclusions. Humans are very good at taking one or two pieces of data, and it's almost like a sixth sense thing, are very good at then making a judgment call. In combination with kind of multimodal AI plus an individual, we have the opportunity, particularly in the security world that I live in, to become more proactive and preemptive versus reactive and gather enough data and correlate it all, all down to things of interest before the event occurs. So that's what we're most enthusiastic about when we start thinking about things like multi, multimodal. I see. Are you So to recap that, it looks like you're trying to build like insect concentric circles around yes. your like this point of interest and you're so you're taking in external postings to see if there's any types of anomaly there's a, you're also taking in like real possibly real time data at a venue in terms of like computer vision you're yes in like sen sensor detection measurements from these metal detectors is are there any other types of data that you're taking in other than those are a huge like data points or sources of data, but are you taking in anything else? Like maybe body posture from like vision? Are you taking in yep. like speech, like audio recordings? For instance, if you're freaking out, typically you'll raise your voice. And yeah. that's kind of like how you would detect someone that's very tense. Yeah, we're not doing voice today on computer vision. That's your points are incredibly well taken. For example, let's say that I'm using computer vision or AI on video cameras to detect, is this a weapon or not? You want to make sure you've got high accuracy in that determination. As an example, the last thing you want to do is have all the cameras in a school scanning for a weapon being brought in and you get a false alert and 2000 high schoolers are left outside because all the doors are automatically shut down. Yeah. Not a good situation. So you have to manage through the false alerts. 
but you start to get into some very interesting things like you mentioned body posture people carry a gun differently than they carry an umbrella a trombone or a baseball bat oh and, if you have something on your side typically you won't sway your hands yeah they, exactly if you had a weapon on the right side of your body you're not going to sway your right hand because you want to keep it like close to your body to maintain that that silhouette yeah so, yeah yeah so I, I find that very interesting so i think that'd be one of the hottest ways to detect nefarious weapons carrying is just the actual body posture because everyone if you're trying to conceal something your body's the way that you walk and carry yourself is going to be completely different. It's very different. And the cadence looks a little stunted. And when you start to see one individual amongst six or seven in a crowd, interestingly, they just stand out because their body posture, as you said, their cadence of their walk just seems a little bit odd. We also notice things like, and maybe it's because we've all watched too many movies with the Terminator in them or something like that, but people do these strange things when they are carrying a weapon, they start to hunch over. We've seen too many of the Jack Ryan shows where the guys are going in to break into the bad guy's place and they all hunch over as they go in the room. And so you see these kind of interesting and strange body postures. You can also determine certain things like, is this a law enforcement individual who's carrying the, this weapon or not? Is the person walking to or from the building? Is the weapon sitting on a table and it only becomes a threat when it's picked up and it's in a hand? So there's all sorts of data that can be correlated with the intent of providing accuracy and alerting and minimizing nuisance alarms. So what do you what type of like roles do you think AI is gonna play in like shaping the future of physical security? And yeah. like, what, what might this future look like from your perspective? Well, I think there's two, three thoughts that come to mind, Tony. First off, I think the biggest benefit you get from AI is massive scale. Like any other digital transformation technology, a software provides massive scale that humans cannot. Software never sleeps. Let me give an example of a remote video monitoring center. I think of a good example, a car dealership. Doesn't want to have cars stolen at night, so they have cameras everywhere, but somebody has to monitor those cameras. Studies show that the, any human, you, me, anybody, staring at those video cameras, and there might be 12, 20, 50 of those cameras that you're trying to stare at, we tune out after 37 minutes. And after doing it day in, day out, for multiple weeks, months, or years, people just tend to tune out. And software doesn't tune out. Software doesn't get bored. It doesn't sleep. And so it provides massive scalability to get the mundane jobs out of the hands of people. Exactly. The second benefit of this is in the future, if I am a security officer, instead of being a law enforcement individual who's patrolling around that, that campus or that car dealership or whatever, on the offhand hope that I happen to run into the bad act at the, bad, at the right time, probability of that's very low. Where in fact, with AI and computer vision, you could actually pinpoint and say, these individuals in this location with these weapons doing this act, and now you've got well-informed individuals who can actually go confront the situation with more data than they had in the past. So I think you're going to see, again, this move to more proactive and preemptive security at massive scale, because the current approaches that we have right now just don't scale. Gotcha. What, what about concerns around like AI and privacy as this field grows? Yeah, we do see that. You see that particularly with things like facial recognition. And it's interesting that different countries and even different states have a different approach. My own personal view is that I think what we're going to see is more and more people will be willing to accept facial recognition technologies 
if it, if they believe it's going to provide a safer environment for them. We all accept, may, people may not know it, but facial recognition technologies are used extensively in casinos, in airports, almost every airport around the country looking for bad actors. So it's already out there, but it's being used intentionally for a specific purpose. And we all accept that we want to be safe in those environments. So I think as we, as society, we're going to, I believe we're going to start to see the pendulum swing a little bit the other way. Right now, there's a lot of crime and there's been a little bit of uh, lessening of policing in this country. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing. I just think you're going to see the pendulum swing the other way. But instead of looking at hiring more individuals, we're going to equip those individuals with better tools, which will include AI, which will make them more proactive and preemptive in the future. That's pretty cool. So wrapping things up for like entrepreneurs and businesses aspiring to innovate in the security space, you got any advice for them on based on your experience, how if you had to redo it and do it all over again, like how would you integrate AI into the security solutions? That's a great question. I think the number one thing I would say to everyone is pick a battle. Too often what we see is companies are the product forward versus customer back. Understand the customer problem you're trying to solve first. I've been around lots and lots of engineering companies and lots of organizations where someone has an idea, they know they can develop it, it's pretty cool, but then you get a solution looking for a problem. There's one of my favorite quotes is, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face. That comes from that great, that great thespian, Mike Tyson. And the point of his, his comment is, we all think we've got a great plan. We all think we've got a great idea until you get out in the real world, until you get out in front of the customer, until you get out into real applications and you start testing your AI models and using them and go, oh, that's how the real world works. Oh, these are the kinds of problems. Let's go back to our gun problem. We all want to detect guns out in the open. It's really hard to detect a gun in a crowd of 60 people, right? Every vendor can do it with one guy walking across a parking lot. So you got to get out in the real world. So first off, my, my first comment would be, be very customer back versus product forward. The second is pick a battle. You look at great books like Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, and he will always talk about it's better to be very good at one thing and be the dominant player as opposed to trying to do tens of thousands of things. And when you do too many things, it's usually because you've got a product that's searching for a problem. Those are some great tips. Peter, thanks for being on the show. In case anyone wants to reach out to you, how do they do so? Best yeah. way to get us okay. is through our web, website, which is www.extract1, spelled X-T-R-A-C-T-O-N-E, dot com. They can contact me. They can talk, contact the company and find out more about what we do there. Great. Awesome. Peter, thanks so much for being on the show. Really enjoyed having a conversation with you. Yeah, me too, Tony. It's been a pleasure doing this afternoon. Have a great rest of your week, okay? You too. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can contact me at tonyphoang.com for more information on AI, ML, and data science.